0: The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today Podcast Sixty six through one hundred that's what's on the docket today here on Fantasy NBA. Today we'll be wrapping up our recap of the first 100 picks and then a smattering of post-100s of a very early industry mock that took place on Wednesday of last week. And then, starting tomorrow, we'll transition into my own buckets, the Bespris buckets, which sort of a first pass, like nothing's done on August 23rd. I'm not going to get everybody a final rank list on August 23rd. Uh, But I do think we have a pretty good idea of a, uh, or at least a rough approximation of where everyone's going to be. And that'll be a fun thing to do for the rest of this week. Uh, Possibly longer than that. I I think that this bucket stuff may end up being multiple weeks worth of shows because, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because today we're still working on the mock draft, but starting tomorrow, we're going to go through the list itself which again, rough approximation, the bodies will be moved kind of front and back, and public perception is going to play a big part of that. Uh, and then we're going to want to go through how we put those names into buckets. So uh, To me, this feels like a, a lot, but I don't know. Well, again, we'll kind of see how things go. It's very hard for me to know how much I'm going to talk about any one topic and then kind of plan accordingly. So everything we do on this podcast is kind of a, uh in-the-ballpark sort of deal. But today, again... 66 through 100, and then a couple of interesting names from after that marker from last week's mock draft. I am Dan Basbris. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. As we rev towards September, we are in the final week. And a couple days of August. Damn you, long month. 31 days. Get out of here with that nonsense. This is... I think it's show 71. Do you guys even remember? At this point, you're probably super annoyed every time I do the counting thing. Uh, And I don't blame you because it's dumb and I can't stop myself anymore. Now I just feel like I need to keep doing it. So we're going to start today's show. Happy Monday, everyone, by counting off where we're at. Regular season ended on May the 16th, more than three months ago. We are under two months from the start of next fantasy season. So we're going to do the count out loud together. Right here on the podcast. Uh, through to the beginning of June, that's three weeks, four, five, six, seven weeks into July. Eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve weeks takes us into August 13, 14. This is the start of week fifteen. Thus, it is indeed show number seventy-one of the fantasy offseason. And uh, we'll be right around hundred, I think, when next season begins. That's kind of a cool little marker. Hundred offseason shows. It's a lot of off season stuff in any case there you go there's your your monday i'm on twitter at dan bespris d-a-n-b-e-s-b-r-i-s hoopball is at hoopball fantasy on twitter or you can just go to hoop-ball.com good news everyone the loyalty program was extended until this week i believe it ends tonight if i'm not mistaken so you do still have now one last day to get last year's prices and if you leave your subscription on I mean, I I I hope that you guys are are sort of checking me on this. If you leave your subscription on, your price will never change. Forever. Okay? So are we are we all kind of together on this one? Forever. You can get last year's prices, wager pass, hoopball 360 is the one. If you're on Hoopball 360 and you canceled it and you're planning on getting back on it please for the love of Pete do it today cuz the price on that's going up more than the other ones because basically all three prices of the individual things wager pass dfs pass uh fantasy pass all of those are going up so hoop 360 sort of it, it's a it's still going to be a big discount on all three separate after the fact But the fact that you can get it for what it is right now at $12.99, it's crazy, and it gets the Brewski 150 access the the earliest out of anything. So go to hoop-ball.com, click on the Premium tab, make sure you get last year's prices today, because after that, you will not be able to get them anymore. It's as simple as that. Don't screw this up. This is your chance. And a lot of people have done it. Like, we've had a lot of people hop back on over the last week. I hope you will be one of them. We're on the way up. No one can stop us. We're on the way up. I know. That's not how it goes. Let's dive in at pick number 66. For those of you that were listening on Thursday and Friday of last week, we did the top 24 on Thursday. We did the next 41 on Friday, and we're going to do the last 35 plus a smattering today. Pick number 66 in this nine-category head-to-head mock draft was Draymond Green. I actually really liked that pick, and... Honestly, if I think if I was going to go back and do this without the sort of Kemba Walker joke pick that I made, Dre would have most likely been the next guy on my list. He was number 56 this last year. He's actually better the more weapons he has around him, meaning he's able to, to focus more on rebounding, passing, steals, blocks, efficiency, things of that nature. I like A Klay Thompson return doesn't really have any... Negative impact on Draymond Green. In fact, his ability to space the floor, his ability to shoot, and we think Clay's coming back in December, by the way, so he's very much a do not draft guy. Until that point, Dre will probably be about what he was last year, maybe even a tiny bit better, because this is a year the Warriors feel like, look, we're going to have our guys. We have to make a run at it because we're getting older, and our young guy, James Wiseman, and I know there's some rookies coming in, but, you know, whatever. Our young guy doesn't appear to be a massive difference maker, at least not this early in his career. And maybe that'll happen down the line, but I don't know that Steph, Clay, and Dre, that, that trio, they may not have the longevity to make it until James Wiseman is a is an impact NBA player, if it ever happens. So I expect Dre to come out guns blazing. The Warriors got eliminated in the play-in game, so you know they're going to be pissed and want to get out of the play-in tournament so they'll be playing hard right out of the gate. Warriors are a really good team to draft in fantasy, at least the the, uh, the ones that are healthy to start the year. Draymond, Steph, even Andrew Wiggins on that team. Those guys are all going to be going full bore right out of the gate. Crap, I, I mean, I don't know that I would recommend drafting Juan Toscano-Anderson, but he's a guy that may slot into an interesting role here because they traded away, uh, or rather, let Kelly Oubre go And didn't really bring in anyone to replace him until Clay comes back on Christmas. But that's two months into the season. Getting two months out of the sort of, you know, young Nick Batum-style fantasy lines from Toscano Anderson would actually be a pretty good start to the year, even if he's not a full season all the way through six-month fantasy guy. But I get off topic here a little bit. Dre was number 56 in 9-cat last year in 63 ballgames. 7, 7, and 9 were the averages, 2.5 combined defensive stats, only half a three-pointer, which could certainly be better, but at least it kept his field goal percent from being a total train wreck at 45%. Still, if that's what he's going to give you, he's a brilliant punt points guy, and, you know, top 60, regardless of whether you're punting points, is pretty damn good. So I like Draymond Green. I see no reason why he wouldn't be inside the top 60 on a per game basis. And I think he's going to play in as many games as humanly possible this year because the Warriors got smacked by being in the play in tournament. They don't want that again. Like that pick. Good pick. Uh, Jeremy Grant went at 67. That's pretty fair. Pretty reasonable spot for him. Uh, ran out of gas late last year. The Detroit will probably be tanking again at the end of this season. Uh, so we'll see what they do with with Grant down the stretch. They may want to just kind of see what all their guys are going to do together all season long, but I don't know. It's hard to know what a bad team's going to look like the last month of the season, which makes him a tougher head-to-head sell, at least, than Roto. Also, Grant was a guy we saw get off to a wonderful start last year and then fully ran out of gas. Just had nothing in the tank, no elevation on his jump shot, couldn't shoot—I mean, he was like a high-volume, low-30% shooting guy— after shooting in the high 40s for the first like two months of the season, it all just fell apart. So he does still have that upside built in. He'll do less this year in Detroit as they continue to try to bring in young guys around him that will also command the basketball. But uh, around the 70 mark is a pretty reasonable spot for him, and I have no particular objection to it. Derek White went at 68. I think he goes later than that in most public drafts. He's not a household name. He's going to be very good for the Spurs. So let me make sure my, my thoughts on this are actually more clear. I think he's probably going to be this good or better this season. I don't think he will be drafted near this spot this season. He's also, unfortunately, shown himself to be a bit injury-prone, and, and maybe this is the year he shakes that. They're going to need a lot out of him now with no DeMar DeRozan, and then just really DeJounte Murray and a host of decent value meh level players on that Spurs team. So if white is healthy, he's going to have to do a ton. And we've seen, he can be a top 40 fantasy player on a per game basis when he's a starter kind of with the, the chains off, he can just go nuts. And that's what I'm hoping he does. I just, after being hurt most of last year, never really looking all that good, but for a week or two spaced out somewhere in the season, I'd be really surprised if the public was sort of driven to Derek White unless fantasy analysts all point to him and that moves the market. But I don't think Yahoo's going to have him very high in their pre-ranks. I, I, he'll probably end up in the 80s, I would think, and then maybe that ADP moves earlier depending on how analysis goes. DeMar DeRozan at 69. He'll be fine in Chicago. He's going to take a good size step back from what he was doing in San Antonio, but he's durable. He'll sort of do his typical DeMar DeRozan stuff. I think if he plays in a lot of ball games, he should beat this ADP. So not a bad head-to-head play, but not a great deal of upside. So not my favorite pick at 69, a very safe one if you took some risks earlier in your draft. You're like, you know what, I want a guy who's going to be like safe top 80 per game, who's going to play probably 70 to 75 out of 82 games, and just will give me stuff on a night-to-night basis from an efficient point of view. Here's a surprising one. Malcolm Brogdon fell to 70, which I don't I don't think we see that happen in real drafts. I think this is a case of a guy who just sort of got overlooked a little bit. He was number 52 on a per game basis last year. Yes, Karis LeVert is is there and healthy all season. TJ Warren probably playing again this year. So from a usage standpoint, you got to figure Brogdon does take a step back. But people love his fantasy game. Because he scores and gets assists, even if he doesn't get many defensive stats. Good foul shooter. Used to be an unbelievable field goal percent guy before he had to kind of take the load on in Indiana. And this is, I mean, also a bit dinged up. So it's sort of a weird... Brogdon's a weird one, because I feel like he has enough scoring, offensive recognition. I I believe he goes earlier in public drafts. I believe he goes like around 55 or 60 which, frankly, is probably a little bit too early. This is more where I would like to be targeting someone like Brogdon. I just, again, it it comes down to whether or not we think he falls that far on draft day, and the answer is probably not. I don't think so, at least. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe. Hmm. It's a weird one. Uh, Brogdon's a weird one. I don't really know where he's going to end up. Uh, let's see. Where the hell did we leave off here? I've lost my too many, too many Excel spreadsheets open. Uh, Jonathan Isaac went at 71. That's a wonderful pick because he, remember, he was hurt in the bubble last year. So we're talking about a solid 15 months between ball games. If he's not ready to go after 15 months, well, then we're in real trouble. I will say this, though. He's not playing in back-to-backs. There's almost no chance on a bad Magic team that they're going to push him so he's a much better roto games cap guy than head-to-head because you know 12 or 13 games missed are just built into it for him still that said he has the potential to be a top 20 per game fantasy player going at 70 here is absolutely positively insane he's probably someone that should be getting drafted closer to 50 i'm hopefully everybody just forgot about him In Roto Games Cap, if you get him near 50, that is an absolute massacre. That is a steal to end all steals because, well, what if he does play 60 out of 82 games? If you're using your fifth rounder on a guy who's posting second round per game value, you're in great shape. And if it goes deeper than that, if you get him in the sixth, and in this case, where the hell did we just say he went right at the end of the sixth round? I mean that is a whopper of a value, as is the next guy on the board, and that's Kyle Lowry, who went at seventy two and will have his own health issues, but in a very bad year with Toronto, he was still number fifty four he just he was he was checked out this season, man. he's going to play more than forty six games for the heat. they'll give him his days off when he needs it because they don't play guys through things, but when you're on the court, they expect you to be going full tilt I don't th- you know this is a weird thing to think when he moves to a place with Jimmy Butler but I don't think that his overall usage changes that much admittedly he was kind of the man in Toronto but Toronto actually had more the men than Miami does Miami runs an offense that's very Butler centric and out of bio and those guys they do a lot of passing there's a lot of ball movement so Lowry will still get his assists He's going to get his open three-pointers, because that's a big part of what Miami does as well, Uh, and he's going to play a crap ton of minutes. Hell, maybe his efficiency even gets better on the Heat. It's it's hard to know. Uh, But if Lowry really is going in the... I, I don't think he goes in the 70s in a public draft. If he does, then that's it. That's an absolute gimme. Chris Boucher went at 73 in this mock draft. That's also probably a hair too late. There are... Question marks around whether or not Boucher is going to get significant playing time. My guess is that he doesn't get a ton. But we're still talking about a guy that in 24 minutes a game last year was top 40. So how far do we think he really falls? 22? 21? 20 minutes per game? Even 20 minutes per game is top 75. So you can hate the stuff going on around Boucher in Toronto, which is... Kem Birch, they traded for Precious Achua. Uh they're gonna run if Siakam's not traded, he can run at center sometimes and Anobi can slide up and play power forward. So yeah, there are there are things that could kind of force him off the court, situational awareness being probably the biggest of those things. But still, in the 70s, yeah. I mean, that's again, that to me is a layup. Even if it doesn't hit in a big way you're basically drafting a guy near his floor. That means that there's like a 15% chance he doesn't hit his mark, and a huge... Call it like 75% chance he does, and then there's like a 10% chance that some other weird thing happens that we couldn't really handicap for. Cade Cunningham went at 74, and I will honestly tell you, he's almost for sure going earlier than this in a real draft. I have Cade back of this on my list but I mean the name power alone is going to get that done he'll go he'll go before 75 in a public draft he'll have to Darius Garland at 75 I didn't I didn't like this pick at all and you know maybe I, I might get this one wrong like there's a there is a chance that Garland turns a big corner this year but we're talking about a guy who played 33 minutes a game last season the makeup of the Cavaliers team really didn't change much year over year Uh, You know, you look at this club and you're like, well, new guys coming in, young guys. Isaac Okoro will probably be asked to do more this coming season. Colin Sexton's not about to give up a bunch of his touches. So where exactly is this big leap forward for Garland coming from? He already shot 85% at the foul line, so that's not going to be the big difference maker for him. 45% from the field is not terrible. Could get a little bit better. 1.2 steals actually isn't that awful. 17.6 assists. The issue for Garland is that nothing he does is just blowing you away. That's the problem here. He was fine in scoring. He was fine in steals. He was fine in assists. Free throw percent was good. It's weird to look at that line and think that was outside the top 120. I mean, it feels more useful than that. Admittedly, he doesn't even walk into a block or a rebound, and that would be... That would actually change his fantasy value a pretty good amount. Um, But I don't don't look at him and think this is a guy who's getting ready to turn a corner. I think we have a pretty good idea of what he is from a fantasy perspective. He's going to have to just get like an extra two to three shots per game for that number to jump the way that folks want it to. Because I don't think the assists are going to change all that much. Rebounds, he's not going to rebound more. This is who he is. Threes... Steals was already, to me, probably on the high side for him. Health would be a big deal if he could play more than 54 games out of 72, more than 64 out of 82 this coming season. If you want to just add a 10, could the turnovers be lower? Yeah, I guess that could potentially help things a little bit. 75 just feels like a best case scenario for me. And I just, I, you know, I can't get behind the best case stuff. He's a much better play in 8 CAT, and he's even better play than that in uh, points format where it doesn't matter that he doesn't really rebound at all because he'll get enough in the other categories. But this is 9-cat we're talking about here, so no thanks. That's 10 out of our 35. Let's keep rolling. Marcus Smart at 76. He was a he was a disappointment last year, and I'll wear that one because I thought Smart was going to be an easy top 65, and he was just uh, right around number 90. He was banged up. Um, his assists were low. His steals at 1.5. Oddly enough, that's actually pretty low for him. He just sort of, it never really felt like he got into the mix on offense. Kemba Walker came back, I think, probably sooner than people expected. But Kemba's gone. Evan Fournier's gone. Dennis Schroeder's in and is probably a backup point guard. So Smart's just going to be out there a ton. I, I, I don't see how he could possibly be any worse than he was this last season, which makes him in the 70s a really good fantasy pick. There's, uh... There is some upside there. If the steals go up, if the threes go up, if he gets a little bit more to do, the assists could potentially go up. If he's kind of running point for that team, which we've heard whispers that that may be the case. So, yeah, Marcus Mart at 76, I'm good with that. If you can get him in the 80s, that's even better. I think he probably outperforms that, although we do have to take with a slight grain of salt. He does play himself into injuries. P.J. Washington at number 77. He's a guy I'll admit I don't have a great read on. I have him a little bit back of that on my own rank list. I don't fully trust P.J. to get the center minutes that he was getting last season in that that was when his fantasy game turned that dramatic corner. He finished at number 84 on a per-game basis because his threes, steals, and blocks were all really, really good. His percentages were terrible. And so if either one of those gets better, and he can still play 30 minutes a ball game, well then it's then it's fantastic. But but uh Charlotte brought in Mason Plumley, and it's easy for us to write that off as backup center, but at the same time, if they don't play him, they just get obliterated by anyone who's bigger than like six foot nine. So they may have no choice, and that's going to cut into Washington's time at the 5. And he may very well be a guy coming off the bench for that Hornets team, which is relatively deep all of a sudden. So I'm a little bit worried about what P.J. Washington's going to get to do this year. I don't know that he does hit 30 minutes of ballgame, and for that reason, I think it's probably a risk I'd let someone else take. Here's the best pick of the whole damn mock draft. Mikel Bridges at 78. How he fell that far is anybody's guess. Jonas Nader with, our, I think, probably the best pick in the whole damn fantasy draft. Mikel Bridges is number 42 on a per-game basis last year. He played in all 72 ball games, which means by totals, he was a first-rounder. What? I know. You hear that, and you're like, that's not—that doesn't make any sense. He was number 11 by totals. It matters if you're a fourth-rounder that plays in every damn ballgame. It matters. And here he is going in the seventh round? No way. If anything, he gets better year over year. Every year he does a little bit more for that Phoenix team. Sure, why the hell not? Get him from 9.3 shots up to 10. Every little bit counts. Could you get him into the high 30s on a per-game basis? I don't care. It really doesn't matter. If he's getting drafted in the 70s, your whole league is completely biffed it. He'll go earlier than this. I can pretty much promise you that because there's no reason for anyone to have him rank deeper then about 45. Figure out where the hell I have Mikel Bridges on my own chart. I think I have him near 30. Yeah, so that's, a, that's a, a, a whole league-wide whiff. I was only two picks away, too. That was the guy I was going to go for. John ja Morant went at 79. I can understand the upside hunt here. I'm still not a full John ja Morant fantasy game believer, and I'm sure I'll have the same crew of you, Coming after me at the beginning of the year if he has two good ball games. But look, here's the thing John Morant wasn't inside the top 180 in fantasy this year. I don't know what you want me to tell you. He was bad. John Morant was a bad fantasy player this year. He can score a lot. There's no question about that. He can score. But what else is he doing for you? By totals, he was 162. By average, he was deeper than that. 19 points, seven and a half and a half assists. It's hard to put up those two numbers in points and assists and just be a terrible fantasy player, but bad free throw on pretty good volume, high turnovers, bad field goal percent, not a ton of steals or blocks, no three-pointers, minimal three-pointers. And then, like, the only other thing he does that's okay is he's not a bad rebounder for a point guard at four. You can't be good at two categories and call yourself a fantasy player. Now, if he takes this Mondo leap forward and is like an 80% foul shooter and field goal percent goes up to 47 and assists go from 7.5 to 8.5 and and scoring gets into the low 20s. Yeah, there you go. You got a guy who jumps into the top 70. But you're still still asking a lot, drafting him in the 70s. He has to be like a 30-point-per-game guy to clear that mark because of the weird holes in his fantasy game. Anyway, you guys have heard enough. You don't need to hear my my take on jaw fantasy-wise. Uh, Pick 80 was Rob Covington. That was me, and I have no regrets on Rob Covington, who was, once again, easy money in fantasy this year. He's number 20 by totals on the season. I know that by averages, he got off to a really bad start, picked it up in the middle of the year, kind of faded down the stretch. He's probably a top 60, top 70 per game guy on that Portland roster the way it's made up right now, because he won't get many shots in it but he's going to get his boards he's going to get his threes his steals his blocks and he will do that on low turnovers. so he's a great compliment guy if you have some higher usage players on your fantasy team he's shown himself to be much more durable when he's on teams where he's playing for something and I see no reason why that wouldn't be the case again this year so Rob Covington at 80 that to me is a layup Karis LeVert went right after me at 81 Uh, You guys know I'm not a big Karis LeVert fantasy believer, but that's a perfectly reasonable spot for him. I actually have him in the late 80s on my own board, so going in the early 80s is totally fine. Jared Allen at 82. Um, I think he has a better season this year. He got his contract money. I don't think there's uh, a whole lot to be worried about with Allen. I have him in front of this mark on my own board. Where did I just say he went? 82 in this mock draft? It just doesn't make any sense to me that someone playing starters minutes with his block ability couldn't beat this number. He was number 87 over last season on the full year. 13 points, 10 boards, half a steal, one and a half block, 62% shooting. Um, if I'm not mistaken, and we can double back on this if we have to, uh, Jared Allen got more playing time in Cleveland, than he did in Brooklyn, but it didn't necessarily work itself out because the guys getting him the ball weren't as good at doing it. Like, over his last 30 games, he only blocked about one shot a game. That to me, that tells me he's a guy who was not really fully emotionally invested in those basketball games, and maybe that's better this coming year. He's just a really easy second center, so I like this pick. Whoever the hell took Jared Allen, that, uh, that's pretty solid. Kevin Porter Jr. at pick 83. That's a roll of the dice, but you can afford to do that at the end of the seventh round. If it hits, it's a big hit. He could also just be awful, because he really was terrible pretty much any time John Wall was on the court. Kevin Porter Jr. was unable to put up fantasy value. He didn't even come close to sniffing the top 100 when that Houston team was healthy, because he has those big holes in his own fantasy game. So he's probably a guy I'm not rolling the dice on. Um, if you guys want to do it, I'm okay with that. I just, I think you can get away with not necessarily safer plays, but just guys that have similar upside, but a higher chance to hit it. And I'll point out those guys when we get to them. In fact, this next guy probably is one of those guys. Al Horford went to pick number 84, who's way less exciting than Kevin Porter Jr. And in a nine-cat head-to-head league, there are issues with Horford likely getting some days off. But he's back in Boston now. He'll probably get his 28 starters minutes. Time Lord probably getting about 20 off the bench. Behind him, they could even run him together with Horford at the four if they really wanted to. And maybe they do for a minute or two of ballgame. But Big Al's got top 60 fantasy potential. And the, the knock there is that he probably doesn't play all 82 ball games. So I do like him a little bit more in Roto than I do in head-to-head, but I, in the 80s, I think I like him a fair amount in either one. And the next guy on the list probably isn't all that far off from this description either. That's Norman Powell, who went at 85. I really like him in this range. We saw in Portland his usage took a hit. That dropped him back towards the edge of the top 100 instead of that top kind of 60 65 level he got on the wild Toronto team that was just running and gunning every possible moment uh, but I also think that his field goal percent is better in Portland this season than it was late last year he'll settle in he has a chance to kind of get used to his surroundings I think you'll see an efficiency bump so I really do like him here at 85 and and honestly I would even I would consider taking him even a tiny bit earlier than that uh, although it's pretty damn close to where I have him on my own board. Jalen Suggs at 86 I can tell you with full disclosure I don't even I don't even have this type of dude on my board I don't and it's because you guys know how I feel about rookies and head to head there's a greater impetus to take them because they get better at the end of the season when you're acting the playoffs they often have the durability to not get badly hurt through the season so I get it there's an appeal there uh and once you're now near ninety, you kind of just this is take some shots territory. Uh, Gary Trent went at 87. I don't like his fantasy game. We've talked about that. If you can get him near 100, I guess I'm okay with it. But there's just there's just problems. in. in he doesn't do anything besides score and hit three-pointers. That's it. Free throw percent is okay, but still not that great. Sadiq Bey at 88. I think he'll have a pretty good role. In Detroit, this is a pretty good play there. Kind of a 3 and D guy to get around 90. Buddy Healed at 89. That was me. I actually was about to say, oh, I like this pick at 89. Uh, No wonder I like this pick. It was my own damn pick. (laughs) Um, Buddy is in a weird spot because you can tell the Kings don't really love him anymore, but he's their floor spacer. And even in a season where he could not throw a damn pebble in the ocean, he was still top 80 last year. So this is a guy who has big-time upside. If his field goal percent gets back up to 44 Instead of 40 or 41, he leaps two rounds with just field goal percent. Even if his usage takes a tiny hit this year, which it very well could. Now, maybe it doesn't. I don't know. 14 shots a game, he could get back to that mark. You now Bogdan being gone now, they're just like Tyrese Halliburton, yeah. But those two guys, and of course De'Aaron Fox, they can soak up most of the backcourt minutes. And Buddy could even slide up and play some small forward if they need him to. So there's still 30-ish or more minutes for Heald, even if his total time on the court comes down. Again, if his field goal percent rebounds, and really he could even be a better free throw shooter than 85. That could get up to 87 or 88. He could be a top 70, top 65, top 60 guy if just the random fluctuation type stats randomly fluctuate back in his direction. So no wonder I like my own pick here. Surprise, surprise. Dan likes his own pick at this one. Although, I did pick on myself for a few of the other ones. Jakob Purtle at 90. That was another guy I had in my queue at this point. I love Purtle at 90. There really isn't anyone in San Antonio challenging him for those center minutes right now. And don't get me started on Zach Collins. If, if that happens, that happens. But that's a risk you're going to have to take if you're drafting Purtle. He was better than top 90 as the starter for the Spurs. When his free throw percent is not ungodly bad, he has top 60 potential. So, big fan of this pick. I like this one a lot. Uh, Jaden McDaniels at 91. Uh, I don't think there's enough meat on the bone in Minnesota to get him to where he would need to be. He can do it with defensive stats. He could do it with some rebounding. But that team has offensive options up the you-know-what with Cat and Delo and Beasley and Anthony Edwards. And there's just no shots left. So, and you have to get a couple unless you go full Rob Covington or full Nerland's Noel, but you kind of need to be a center to do that. And I just, I don't see how Jaden McDaniels can go full Rob Covington this fast. So this is a little early for him, for me. Colin Sexton at 92, this is about the safest pick you can make in the mid-90s because he will get very damn close to this mark, but he probably won't go in front of it by more than a round, and he probably won't be behind it by more than a round, which kind of, from a head-to-head standpoint, I guess we're okay with that. Because it's an 8th round set it and forget it kind of dude. It'll get you points relatively late in a fantasy draft. But from a if you're upside hunting, there are other names, like the guy right behind him, frankly, that would offer you more of that. And Mitchell Robinson going at 93 is obscenely late. I have Mitchell Robinson still in the 60s on my board. This is for actual value. I don't know where he gets drafted this year. But if he really does fall into the 70s and 80s, oh, good lord, yes. Is this, is this truly the season where Mitchell Robinson becomes a colossal fantasy value? It's possible, because he's the starter when that Knicks team is healthy. Wendell Carter Jr. at 94, I'll pass. I would rather have Mo Bamba on that same team. Spencer Dinwiddie at 95 in Washington. I like this pick, actually. I know Spencer doesn't have a great fantasy game, but he's going to get usage beyond his wildest dreams, and he is a 90-something-ranked guy when he gets that big usage. You just kind of have to build your team around the uh, deficits in his game, which mainly not a great foul shooter for a point guard who gets to the line pretty often and not a good field goal percent guy. So he's going to hurt you in percentages, but like to ha- get someone at this usage level in the 90s that does have a little bit of upside if maybe is- during his rehab, during his time off, perhaps his free throw stroke got better. Like There's some stuff there that I'm willing to take a flyer on in the 90s or 100 range for sure because the other guys now you're going to start to hear it again. They're just the upside. The upside guys remaining are not that plentiful. Joe Harris went at 96. There's no upside there. TJ McConnell at 97. I actually like that pick a lot. TJ, he carved out his role in Indiana. He's a brilliant assist and steal specialist who doesn't hurt you in field goal percent from the point guard spot. Doesn't hit three pointers but is extraordinarily durable. He was a 50-something ranked guy by totals this year. I don't even have to look it up. I know he was that good or maybe even a little bit better than that. Get a guy in the 100 range who could be better than that per game and is durable, and that's good. That's a good pick. His teammate, TJ Warren, at 98, and that's probably where I'd be taking him if I was taking him also. Near 100. I'd love to see if he goes farther than that. I bet in public drafts he falls into the 110 to 120 range, and I'll go... Heavy on T.J. Warren at 115, if that's where he ends up. If it's 98, there's a little bit of risk there. But again, hearing some of the other names that are still on the board here, you're not passing on much to get a guy who, if healthy and conditioned, could be a top 65 fantasy guy. And that's what you're looking for around 100. You ask yourself the question, could this guy put a per-game numbers inside the top 75, and are they durable? Those are basically the only two questions you're asking yourself around pick 100. Question one, can this guy be top 75 per game? Question two, will they survive more than 60 games this year? Derek Favors at 99. He really is the only center in Oklahoma City. I would love to say that this is insane. Okay, it is a little insane to take him inside 100 because ain't nobody drafting Derek Favors inside 100 on actual draft day, but he could end up inside 100 if Oklahoma City's like, you know what, screw it. We're going to play our vet for the first half of the year like Al Horford, and then we're going to trade him Makes a lot more sense from Roto's standpoint because he ain't getting traded to a place where he's starting, but he might start for the Thunder, a la Horford, a la Chris Paul, whatever, until they can move him. Miles Bridges at pick 100, I'm good with that one. There's a lot of bodies in Charlotte now, so he probably doesn't have quite the value add at the end of last year, but he got confident, and you just never know when that might carry over, so I'm good with that near 100. And then let's pick a few names as we sort of speed down the board here. This draft went all the way to pick 168. It was a 14-rounder. And I'll just pick a couple of names between 100 and 168 that I thought jumped out to me. Brooke Lopez going at 102. That's pretty damn late. I would definitely take him earlier than that. Uh, Evan Fournier at 104. You could make a very good argument to have him go inside the top 100. Daniel Gafford, uh, a guy who almost definitely makes more sense with the Roto games cap because you get like two good months out of him. Thomas Bryant slowly carves into his minutes and things get much more hairy there. But I like him in Roto, and I think he goes later than this in most drafts also. He went at 101 in this draft. Uh, Nerlens Noel at 105 is someone I would definitely target more so on the Roto side because you could play him every day or you could just wait, play him when Mitchell Robinson gets hurt if you really wanted to. Uh, do, 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 who else is interesting here? Kelly Olynyk at 113. I like that pick. Of course I do. That was me. Maubamba at 114. Like that one a lot. That could end up being his job in Orlando. Just watch how it plays out. DeAnthony Melton, they pick 115, a guy we're always tracking here at hoop Ball, And the the leader of the DeAnthony Melton fan club, also the president, uh, Jonas Nader got him here at 115. He probably goes later than that in public drafts. I'm guessing most public teams are not even looking at DeAnthony Melton Mason Plumley at 120, Kem Birch at 121. I like both of those as late centers that could pan out to being inside the top 100. And by the way, this is what you're talking about at 125. You're drafting here in the 120s, 130s. You're like, can this guy be a per game top 90 fantasy player? That's what you're gunning for here because it probably ain't getting much better than that. And if it does, awesome. I mean, you win. Alexei Pokashevsky at 124. He's going to be a popular flyer pick on draft day. So just be aware that that's coming down the pike malik beasley at 126 i don't think there's enough usage in minnesota but at 126 it's worth a try he could be top 100 top 90 jay sean tate at 128 i like that one uh he was around the top 100 with some upside of his free throw percent isn't so horrible going into next year one of the best steals guys in the nba so that's to me a really easy one to grab if he really does fall that far Larry Nance Jr., who you cannot possibly draft in head-to-head leagues because of injury stuff, but if he's really going in the 130s, you draft him in Roto and you play him hard for the 41 games he plays this year because he'll be a top 70 guy in those 41 games, and he'll be a goose egg in the other 41 games. Nick Batum at 137. uh, He's going to get a big role with the Clippers this season. He was really good last year until Marcus Morris came back, and now it's Kawhi Leonard that's out, so that opens up even more. I know Terrence Mann is going to see more playing time this year, and Reggie Jackson is going to have a bigger role, Uh, but Pat Beverly and Rajon Rondo are gone, so you're eliminating two guys from the end of last season. Uh, Batum at 137. He was inside the top 70 on a per-game basis before that team got healthy. I don't think he gets back quite that high, but if you can get him in the 130s and he goes top 90, then... Outstanding. That's a big that's a lot of cash for your fantasy team. Reggie Jackson at 142 is worth a shot just in case he ends up with a lot of usage on the Clippers. I don't think it's going to pan out in a nine cat value, but it'll probably be better than top 140. Tim Hardaway Jr. kind of the same story at 143. He'll be better than that even if there's no real upside there. So I'm I'm good with that one. Uh Eric Bledsoe at 145. You just don't know what the Clippers are going to do with him. If they turn him loose, and he's excited about this year in a way he wasn't about last season, he's someone that can basically close his eyes and be a top 80 fantasy player. So I actually really like his pick at 145. That's an upside play. And if it fails, if he sucks, you just throw him into the ocean. BFD. Big bleeping deal if it doesn't work out. I took Davis Bertans at 152, and I'm actually pretty pleased with that pick because he's going to have more usage in Washington this season than he did last year. And if his usage ticks up... His value goes with it like a rocket blast. That's what he needs. It's all shots. It's all three pointers for him. So he's gotta be out there and he's gotta be chucking. Get Russell Westbrook off the floor and the opportunities really take off. Plus, he'd probably be more healthy this year. So I love Davis at 150. That's worth a shot. Uh behind that, now we're starting to get towards the end of the rope here. Um Is that the last interesting one here? Derek Rose at 161. Chuma Okiki, I like that pick, at 165. And then Brandon Clark at 168. Brandon Clark is in the market to be a big-time post-hype guy this season. He's probably going to fall on... I mean, he probably doesn't get drafted in a lot of leagues. And... I do not agree with that sentiment. I have Brandon Clark on my board. I actually have him at 112, mostly because Jonas Valanciunas is gone. I know everybody's going to say, Dan, JV's gone, but JJJ is healthy now. So it's like a clean sweep. And plus Steven Adams is in the mix. Yeah, you're all very right. I don't know that the Grizzlies are going to use Steven Adams a ton. They're going to... There's a will Brandon Clark kind of figure it back out this year thing where if he does, we know what that can be fantasy wise. And if you draft him at 150 here, the 160, the last round, if he plays 12 minutes in the first game of the year, I don't drop him after one game for all I care. But if he's out there and he's getting 22 minutes, then he's he's worth a check at that point. So I think there's there's a very real reason. Clark was 109 this year in 24 minutes of ballgame with a lot of stuff kind of falling apart for him. Both his field goal percent and his free throw percent were way down. If those come back and he can still creep up into that 23, 24-minute range, the other stuff doesn't really need to change that much. Like, let's assume his field goal percent goes from 52 back up to 55 or 56 and free throw maybe he gets that to 72 or 73. That'll reflect on an extra probably half to full point per ballgame which would put him at like 11.5 and and 6 with a steal and a block, and suddenly now you are talking about a top 90 guy that you may draft at 160. Those guys aren't out there. Very few. I shouldn't say aren't out there, but the ones that are, they are not in great number. And those I thought were the interesting plays after the 100 mark. There are a couple other ones floating around in there, like will Rui Hachimura turn a corner in 9-cat? I'm inclined to say no. Does Kyle Kuzma post nine cat value this year i'm inclined to say no oh hey slow mo at 123 yeah that's a really good one who the hell got slow mo there joey team joey nice work nice work team joey slow mo at 123 is a uh another short range jumper that's like an in the key that's like a free throw it's not a full layup but it's like a free throw he was really useful for the grizz last year, and I think they want his leadership back out on the floor again this season. There just wasn't really a stretch last year. Every time we thought he was going to take a big step back, it was always just little tiny steps back as guys got healthy. He still persisted and ended up with really nice value all season long. He was incredibly durable this last year, 69 out of 72 games, top 65 on a per-game basis, and significantly better than that by totals He was number 31. What he's doing in the 120s is really anybody's guess because Memphis didn't really bring in guys to displace him in particular in the way that they might have, you could argue, like the extra big men. Sure. You know, does Brandon Clark completely fall on his face? Yeah, there's a very real possibility of that. But is he worth a shot in the 160s? Yeah. Slow-mo, like he's worth a shot probably two to three rounds earlier than he went in this draft. I, I don't know what the hell he's doing falling into the 120s after last year uh i still have him relatively i don't say high on my board but i think i have him around 80 that's with the step back and if he's durable again he probably beats the mark that i set for him and that is your breakdown of the first very early mock draft hope you guys enjoyed that we'll start in on my ranks tomorrow we'll see how long that takes us there's a lot to go over there just in methodology how we're going to build it into buckets the whole thing it begins tomorrow I am Dan Bathurst. Go get yourself a Fantasy Pass or a Wager Pass or a hoop ball 360 before the price goes up. And as I've said before, if you guys want to start working on an account over at mybookie.ag, this is the time to do it because they've got a uh, an odds boost on September 9th. So you have what? 17 days? Uh, no. Yeah. 17? Something like that. To get that bet in, it's $25, it's not promo bucks. You put in your own $25, you bet it on this game, and you will win at minus 110 odds. So you'll basically, it's like 23, 22 and change actual dollars coming back to you. You can cash out at that point, or you can just sit on it until the next odds boost comes along. Just keep collecting your free $25 three, four, five times a year for all I care, but please start doing it now because every year you don't do it. Last year with the pandemic, they ran a ton of odds boost stuff. I think I won close to $400 in completely sweat-free bets. That's a lot. I think I got a video game system with that for my kid. That's pretty freaking good. That's league pass and then some. Anyway, let me know. Holler at me on Twitter, at Dan vespers And I will put out one other clarion call here as people are starting to come back to the show now, feeling the NBA season beginning to creep up a little bit. If you guys want to do a podcast and you think you can do it, hit me up, at Dan vespers on Twitter, or email teamhoopball at hoop-ball.com. I believe we will shortly have another show being added to our mix. Pretty damn excited about that. We've done a lot of podcast expansion this offseason. And this goes for folks that want to do either other sports or even non-sports things, although, with the preface, we can't help promote you all that much if you want to do a podcast on, like, the best way to eat a waffle. I don't know that people are really coming to me for a retweet on that, but I'll tell you, we have a great platform. Uh, hosting is free, which is awesome, So, and I'm around to help guide you guys on the technical side, on the broadcast side, whatever. You'd be working with me on this. Really excited about what I've been able to do with my guys here at Ball in growing the pod division. If you guys want to be a part of it, hit me up. Uh, love to talk you through it. See if it's something that might be a fit. Have a great Monday, everybody. Enjoy the rest of it. We will talk to you tomorrow. It's rankless Dan Vesper style time starting August the 24th here on Fantasy NBA Today. For now, so long.